Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from Portland. Hey, been a while since we've been here together. It's uh, been a few weeks, yes. And joining us as our special guest today is Raymond Camden. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hello from Louisiana. Covering the gaming here between West and East, right? <laughs> yeah. And North and South, too. And North and South. We got it all. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Ray, how about you introduce yourself for those who aren't aware of who you are? Sure. I'm Raymond Camden. I am a developer evangelist for a company called Here Technologies. We're involved in mapping and routing and anything location-based for developers. Nice. I'm familiar with the name Here primarily from using a Here Maps app on Windows Phone back in the day. Hmm. So I, I assume things have continued to advance since then. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a great app at the time. It was, it was the best one. But. Yes. Yeah. We have an Android and iOS app now a bunch of APIs and basically anything, mapping and routing, et cetera. We have APIs and JavaScript libraries for them. So yes. how, do you, how does here compare to something like Mapbox? Are they the same tool or just completely different kinds of tools? Oh, we're much better. Okay, other than that. <laughs> Not sure how you wanted me to answer that. Yeah. Uh, just in so terms of I, what they do, what your tools do comparatively. Yeah, so we have a client-side mapping library. So with some JavaScript, you could put a map on and do routing and put markers and stuff like that. And we have the APIs that you would expect. So routing, again, via API calls. Crazy specific things, like I need to route a truck that has four axles and is carrying dangerous chemicals via New York City. Um, so like our routing will know that you can't take a certain tunnel and you can't drive at a certain time and stuff like that. Yeah, so routing, geocoding, reverse geocoding, even a weather API, all stuff related to location and getting you from A to B. That so can sense. you also create your own tile sets and customized tile sets and that kind of stuff? I am mostly sure. The, the, the mapping, the visual mapping stuff, I've not done a lot of. I've used our JavaScript maps library, but not in a very creative way. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> just you know, take the default layers, satellites, and basic maps and stuff like that. I am mostly sure that what you said is something that we do, but it's just not an area that I played with much yet. Mm, okay. And just curious, how, how did you get into programming in general and kind of into, into that role? I'm just curious about that. Sure. Two things, really. One was I was playing a game called Bart's Tale on my Apple IIe or Apple II Plus. It's, it's been a while. I was playing it and I was struggling and I knew that there was something behind the game, obviously, that, that built the game. And I wanted to learn how to modify the game so I could cheat. So I, I learned about hex. I learned how to, you know, find that information in the save game and modify it. And about the same time I was doing that, I saw a movie called Tron and Tron just changed everything about me in terms of like, you know, I saw that. I saw computer programs, and I thought, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And luckily, you know, programming is it it exactly like Tron, so I'm, I'm very lucky. When Tron came out, it was a real game changer in a lot of ways, just from movie making and, and effects and, and so much. It really affected a lot of things. 
I played the video game, the arcade stand-up game quite a lot. I can still remember that bike level always killed me. It's always the hardest <laughs> to be able to make those turns quickly. I hated the one with the little rotating cone where you had to shoot through it. And it looked so simple. It was so frustrating for me. Nice. So you got into programming through wanting to cheat, as you put it. <laughs> Just trying to find another word. All right. <laughs> yeah, while playing a game. And I, I think that sounds really cool. That's, I know my first experience with XML was doing something similar. I was making a mod for a Star Wars Empire at War because I hated the ground combat levels. And so I just removed them. There you go. <laughs> so, Lesson learned cool. there. If something's hard, get rid of it. That's get it. Get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. And so right now, I think you said your role is you're a developer evangelist. Is that correct? Yes. What does that look like on a day-to-day level? So it's kind of two-way facing. On one hand, I'm facing outwards toward developers to try to produce content that gets them excited about what we're doing, that tries to give them inspiration. So we'll have a, you know, we'll have docs about some particular feature, but maybe if I built a demo showing you this feature in action, you get excited and you think, hey, I, I can do that as well. And then there's the internal facing aspect, which is, hey, we have docs, but they're maybe poorly written or they make certain assumptions that a new developer would not actually have and we need to fill those gaps. So it's trying to get new developers onto our platform and successful. You know, I don't think, you know, I, I, I love our platform. It may not be the best, but like while you're here trying to use our stuff, I want to make it as easy as possible for you. I don't want you cursing while you're playing with our APIs. I want you to have an enjoyable experience while you're doing it. Yeah, I definitely think that's important. I, I definitely struggle when the when the docs are not pleasant to work through or read or what have you. So definitely appreciate that role. So today, the, what we're planning on talking about with you is there's there's this new release of Vue coming out. You may have heard of it. It's called Vue 3. And it's, it's bringing some changes. And it sounded like you had some experience with re- major releases of JavaScript frameworks that kind of stirred the pot as far as what's what's the status quo in a in a framework is that right yeah i was a big angular user for a while i will say primarily uh, via things like cordova ionic as well i liked building mobile apps five six years or so ago so yeah i that's how i got into angular was working with cordova and working with ionic Nice. And so you were going to make it sound like this is ancient history, and I apologize, but you were there for the the switch from Angular 1 to Angular 2, weren't you? Yes, yes. Yes, I was. Uh, (laughs) Bad memory (laughs) of it. So like, like one thing I should point out, like I am absolutely not a great developer. I can get stuff done, but like every single thing I do is a struggle, which is why I think that my role in developer relations, I think is perfect because when I struggle, I try to turn that into content. So I've been blogging for about 18 years or so. And like most of my blog posts are like, oh my God, I struggled to do X and here's how I finally got it working. And that's been successful for me because apparently other people struggle as well. But like, I will look at a product, I will look at their docs and I will just kind of pick up on things that I know are, are going to be a problem because maybe it confuses me or I'll just know that it's not clear, clearly defined. And I, I feel like when I kind of remember back to the Angular 1 to Angular 2 transition, and I will say so like Angular 2 definitely ended up being a, a much nicer platform. It was definitely better in every aspect around it. It felt like it was unnecessarily painful in terms of the outreach to developers and users in terms of you know, thinking about how stressful this would be to them. 
And I'm not saying that the people behind it were, were doing a bad job per se. It's more that being cognizant of the fact that change can be scary for developers and trying to be really, really, you know, I guess cognizant again, just, just of, of thinking about how much stress that you're putting onto them. Yes, you know, I am giving you a great new framework. It's more powerful, it's faster, it's shinier. It is absolutely better. But if you've been using the old framework for years now, it doesn't matter how much better it is, it's still going to be a painful slash scary slash anxiety filled process to kind of forget everything you've learned and transition to this new thing. So I, I constantly kind of think about that and trying to trying to be there, I guess, for that developer who doesn't live on Twitter, doesn't see, oh, there, there were 500 blog posts over the last year talking about Angular 1 to Angular 2. You know, I've been able to follow that process. I've, I've been involved. You know, a lot of people don't do that. They work nine to five and then one day they wake up and, oh, it's a whole new framework that's radically different. What can we do to make life better for people like that? And I apologize for rambling on too long there. No, you're fine. I relate many ways to what you're saying. I am one of those developers who is on Twitter and I'm trying to follow and I've been very excited about what's going on with Vue 3 on a personal level, but on a professional level at work, I work on a Vue 2 project that is absolutely reliant on Internet Explorer, for example. And the developers that are on my team, they're great developers, but they're not on Twitter. They're not following all of this. And they, if if I were to suggest, let, let's assume all of the, all the potential pain points were gone between Vue 2 and Vue 3. If I were to suggest an upgrade, they would say no because that's still going to be work. You've got to make sure that Vue 3 is compatible with all of the other libraries, is compatible with this, compatible with that. And I also noticed yesterday, in fact, that it looks like a Vitor, the, the VS Code plugin for Vue, has already been updated to handle some of the things for Vue 3, which means it's no, it's now reporting linting errors for Vue 2 compatible code. Oh, so can you turn that I, off? I, or? <laughs> I, I haven't found a way to turn it off yet, no. I followed a couple of suggestions on Discord, but for example, you can't I forgot what it was exactly, but it was it was had something to do with like modifiers on scoped slots is not allowed in view three, but it is allowed in view two. And Vitor has been updated for Vue 3. So suddenly I opened up a project I've been working on for months and I'm getting errors all over the place just because valid syntax in Vue 2 is no longer valid in Vue 3. I assume there's a bug. I hope that there's a bug filed for that to, to say, you know, give me a way to use, to have one project for Vue 2 and one for Vue 3. I would certainly hope so. If not, I'm going to be filing that soon myself. Yeah, I definitely relate to this uh, need to need to stay on top of it, need to follow. Otherwise, you're just going to get buried in the changes potentially, no matter how beneficial these changes are. Yeah. I think one way the view community can can pro probably learn its lesson before before it happens is one looking at the Angular one to Angular two. Obviously, view two to view three is not nearly as significant a change as Angular one to Angular two, but there is change. I mean, there's the composition API itself, which pretty sure everyone who thinks of view three thinks, oh yeah, that's the thing with the composition API. At the very, at the very least, if they know what view three is, how do you feel about that? Uh, trying to gather my thoughts <laughs> here. So when the first news about the composition API came out, it was definitely presented to me or the way I read it as this is view three period. And it was very off putting. Like I was like, you know, I don't really care for react, but maybe it's time to switch or I'll start, you know, start preparing myself for that switch because 
at least the way it was marketed, it seemed like this was how you would write Vue 3 apps. Now, a lot of time has passed and it's been made clear that not only is it optional, it's more kind of, at least this is my impression, it's more focused on advanced component design. And like the impression I'm kind of getting is that like people who are building things like uh, Vue Bootstrap, other complex UI libraries, for example, with a lot of component interactions, it may be better for people like them versus people who are doing just page enhancement with Vue. So I, I have literally decided to ignore it for now because I can see me doing what I do now in Vue 2. I, I can see me doing Vue 3 and just not needing it. Not to say that's a bad feature at all, just that it's not something that I think I will need immediately or for a while. But it was definitely marketed <laughs> incorrectly when it first came out. And there was a, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse or not. So I would say there was a poop storm that we all saw, right? There was a huge amount of discussion about this that could have been headed off with a real clear indication in the beginning, you know, what this would be used for. It'd be optional. And that was probably said, but it could have been maybe bolded twice times or whatever, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely remember at the time there were there were plenty of blog articles saying, is Vue dead? Just asking straight out because people didn't want to use the composition API. And if, if you don't want to use the composition API, what's your option? But on the plus side, they did, like you said they came around and they said actually there is an option and it's the options api you can you can continue to use it it's not going anywhere but even so i there's there's a part of me that wonders if what happened in the react community with class components to hooks is going to happen with view three where sure it's optional and you could do everything in the old way and the docs are even still written in the old way if i remember right for react i haven't haven't looked recently, but the entire community has just shifted over from using class components to hooks yeah. is, is the feeling I get when I look at React again. I mean, there's also like, like, like when you say the entire community, I think there, there's a community of people who are active and speaking at conferences and are on Twitter and blogging and all that. And then there's the community of people who are the nine to fivers who are just getting things done, working and working in the enterprise, working on large, older applications. And I think that applies like everywhere, Vue, Angular, React, et cetera. There, there's there's the loud people and then there's the quiet majority. That's very true, yeah. And when I say community, I definitely mean the vocal group. I think it, this is kind of broad, but it's something that came up in an earlier conversation elsewhere is that, you know, open source projects need to recognize that, you know, I think sometimes open source gets a pass because, oh, it's free and it's open source and if there's a bug, you can just fix it. I think once you get the scale and you have like thousands and thousands of users, you don't necessarily get that pass anymore, right? You can't say, oh, it's all volunteer effort, so we can't complain. We don't have to worry about things like documentation. You don't get to do that if you want to, if, if you do want to continue to have users, right? Uh, you kind of have to have that same process employ and, and play that older closed source enterprise software does. You know, they go slower because they, they have more to you know think about. You know, they like would never release without documentation, which is something that I see in open source projects all the time. Right. And again, like if, if your intent is to have a project with people using it, you have to be thoughtful about more than just I want to add the new shiny. And hopefully I'm not in trouble for saying that. <laughs> You're not in trouble with us, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. No, speak it, brother. Preach it. Yeah, I mean, man. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, 
we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. So, all right. So I'm on the soapbox. I'll stay on the soapbox. You Go know, there's, there, there's, there's, in some aspects, there's like a quasi-religious view of open source, right? Like if you use it, you have to use it everywhere and your entire stack has to be open source. And I absolutely love open source. It's been tremendous. You know, having been in the, in this industry for a long time, it's been extremely beneficial. At the same time, like I need to get crap done, right? So for 10 plus years, I used a closed source application server called Cold Fusion. I was a server-side app. Wow, um, that's because, going back. Yeah, but you know what? It was extremely practical, right? It wasn't complex. It was very approachable to non-computer science people. In fact, like a huge part of that community were non-traditional developers, which I think is great. You know, the more non-compside people we get coding is great. And I had no qualms using it. You know, I built open source software using ColdFusion as the app server. And I did it because I got stuff done. I, I produced products that my clients could use and be successful on. So I had no political slash religious qualms about doing that at the time because that's that's how that that's how I was able to be successful. Yeah, and definitely I think using tools that help you get problems solved or you know I, like you said be successful are definitely tools that should be used. It's it's what works. What's it's what lets you get your job done. And I, I definitely feel the allure of going to the new shiny and and trying out the new things. I mean, I've definitely played with Vite, the new, uh, I guess we're calling it a build tool now for, for Vue 3 that uses ES modules for dev development purposes. And it's really cool. And I, I think it's important that this this kind of work is happening, just as the changes that are happening in Vue 3 that are, that are driving new innovation are happening, as long as... There is that story for the the common developer who is able to continue working in the way that they're working, that knows that the thing that they have been building for X amount of months or years is not going to suddenly become out of date and they're going to need to upgrade to keep working on it or something. Mm -hmm. I know at, at my last job, I was pitching using Vue over React to, to my boss. And this was this was the first major development project that we had done. So I, I was having to make that decision for the very first one. Are we doing React or Vue? And he had some concerns. Is is this going to be something that's viable down the road in the next five to ten years? And obviously I can't tell him yes because JavaScript evolves too quickly. But there there is that path. As long as as long as that path is maintained for for Vue, the application that we wrote in 2017, 2018 is going to be able to continue working in. 2020, 2021, 2022, hopefully continuing on without too much effort. One thing that I'm kind of like concerned about is that, you know, I feel like Vue has some of the same strengths that Cold Fusion did. And that if you're not a comp sci person, if you don't have a traditional background, Vue to me feels more inviting and more easy to use than versus React and Angular. Like, I mean, they all do the same thing. They all allow you to build applications. But I feel like, you know, if you came to me and you had like a month's experience in HTML and knew a little bit of JavaScript syntax, but weren't terribly experienced, I feel like Vue would be a lot easier for you to pick up than React or Angular. I mean, I'm biased because I, I love Vue, but like I never want to see Vue lose that openness to, to people who may be newer 
and again, non-traditional programmers. Yeah. Steve, do you have anything that you would like to add before we continue? No, I mean, my experience was similar to Ray's in that, uh, you know, I had initially started out in JavaScript, you know, working with JavaScript frameworks, Angular 1, and had done a decent amount of work with Angular 1. And then during the switch, when they were switching from 1 to 2 plus, I started looking into Vue and playing with it. And I was impressed with how simple it was. And so, you know, someone like me can could jump in and, you know, pick it up. Uh, you know, I'll echo what Ray said in that allowing you you want to make it easy for new people to get into. And an analogy that I'll that I can make from my previous web development experience is Drupal, in that when I first started playing with Drupal back in the end of Drupal four, four point seven six, when it's transitioned into five around two thousand six, two thousand seven, it was great. You could it was pretty easy to drop it in and install it, you know, get your database installed, run your script and so on. And as it has morphed into current version. Drupal 8, which is now Drupal 9, that capability has really disappeared with the use of Symfony and Composure and any number of things. And I'm sure people from the Drupal world might dispute this, but it's definitely geared more towards experienced developers, enterprise type sites and that kind of stuff. And there's been a lot of tools that have come in behind to pick up the space for the small, simple site, Jamstack, you know, you name it. So that's something that I would want Vue to maintain is, yeah, you got some available advanced features, but it's still simple for somebody to spin up with Vue CLI or Nuxt or Gritsum or whatever and get something small going, create a small site that suits a small purpose. Yeah, I wouldn't even know in Angular, and it's been a long time, but like if I wanted just simple page enhancement, like I wouldn't even know how Angular would support that. Whereas I feel Vue, you know, if I'm doing something that's a bit more than vanilla JS, you know, want a, a bit of Vue sugar to help about. I feel great using Vue and I love that I don't have to build a complete single page application every time I want to use it. Yeah. And we're, we're getting close to the end of time here, but wanna, just to look at Vue 3 in a, in a positive light as well. There are many things that are coming that are beneficial to new users, that are beneficial if, you're, if this is the first time you're touching Vue and you have that HTML, CSS experience and minimal JavaScript. It's, it, so it does have ways to, to help things make sense without also without having to reach out and, and pull in third-party libraries in many cases. I know one of the, talking about that previous job, one of the points I made is with React, you have to bring in a library for this and then you have to bring in a library for that and then you have to bring in a library for the other thing. I've been working on a side project this last week that uses React and my dependency list in my package JSON is way larger than it ever is in a Vue application, just for very basic things. So, so I, I, that's some of the stuff that is coming into Vue three that I really like. For example, there's the uh, the teleport component where before you had to bring in the portal view plugin and do some configuration on it. Now it's just built in. So that's that's something that I really appreciate. And granted, that's a that's a more advanced concept. Maybe somebody who's who's new to Vue will not reach for that. But the fact that it is something that's there and it is straightforward to use, I think, is very beneficial to those new users. I can remember back when, gosh darn it, Lindsay, I can't remember the name of the module. There was an open source library that somebody had given up, somebody else had taken over. They had inserted some Bitcoin mining code in there. Oh, I remember that. It was a huge stink and I cannot remember the name of the, of the library for the life of me. And the guy got banned from GitHub and locked out and stuff. But it really opened people's eyes as to the problems with dependencies and so many dependencies. And one of the, I heard somebody discussing this and they went into Create React App and they said, just installing Create React App, you had somewhere close to 1,100 dependencies just in, in that app alone, just as your starting place alone. I'm sure, you know, looking inside of a view node modules a directory, there's quite a lot of 
tools and libraries in there. So I would be curious to see what the exact number is there. But I remember I remember that really jumping out. And that's one of those numbers that I've always remembered. Yeah. I mean, on, on the plus side of U3 as well, there's they're doing a lot more tree shaking and code splitting. So if there are features of the view core library that you're not using, I think I think like watch in general, if if you don't use the watch parameter anywhere, it just doesn't ship that. And there's some things like that that Vue is doing that's, I think, extremely beneficial in production. Obviously, in, in local development, you're going to have all of this stuff downloading into your node modules folder. And that's that's the downside of having a framework that, that tries to be as, as batteries included as possible without forcing you into a certain paradigm, I think. And I like the suspense feature seems really, really handy. And like, I know that not every single project is doing something asynchronous, but like probably a good 95%. So having that kind of baked in seems like really well done. Yeah, I am looking at that one right now. I'm really happy with the fact that they're bringing that in as well. That was one of the things I really liked in my experimenting with Svelte as well, hmm. that it had a block for, it, I don't think they called it suspense. I think they just called it a wait, but it, it was the same idea. You're doing something asynchronously. This is an easy way to have a template around it. And yeah, I, I love that things like that are getting put into the Vue 3 core instead of having to bring in something special for it. And one final feature as we're, as we're getting to the end that I that I like, and I think this, this is one of the things that tripped me up a lot as a new developer in Vue, is registering components because in React, you don't have to do it. And in Svelte, you don't have to do it. And so in, Re- in Vue, it always feels weird that you do have to do it. Nux did get rid of that though. I think it was 2.14, Nux got rid 2.14. Of they got what, I think it's global components or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, it's you pretty great. You can compare a component globally and then it's available everywhere. Yeah, I don't have it up in front of me at this point. But in Vue 3, at, at least this was an RFC. I think it's going to make it in. I hope so. There would be a tag that's just component and you and then you put the source and you can say if it's async or not. And then you don't have to put it into your options API, for example. You can just have it as a as part of your tags. So like you've got the template block, you've got the script block, your style, and then you have a group of components that you're just registering that way. So you don't have to import them and then register them. It's just, it's all done for you at that sense. You still have to register them on the particular page, but one step instead of two. So things like that, I feel like are are really beneficial, but it is something that needs to be uh, done carefully so that you don't step on the toes of developers who aren't necessarily paying attention. And we don't want to, if if I were the one writing a open source library, I, I would try to make sure that the path for upgrading is as simple as possible with obviously between major versions there's going to be breaking changes but it's something that we need to be careful of and i think it's important that we pay attention to those things for for those developers who are not as active on twitter or blogs or what have you yeah that's a it's a fine line to walk in terms of technical debt backwards you know backward breaking changes because yeah you leave stuff in and i believe this is what wordpress has done somebody can correct me if i'm wrong is that they don't break back they do a lot to not break backwards compatibility. Then you start dealing with bloat and a lot of technical debt and you know just a lot of crust, crud and cruft in there floating around. So at the same time, you don't want to just be, oh, okay, screw it. All this is gone. You got to rewrite all your, your apps because this functionality is gone. So yeah, that's a, it's definitely a fine line to walk and a tough one to walk. Mm-hmm. I will say the... Uh migration guide was really well done and i love that it's split out so like if you see a topic mentioned that you don't use you can just ignore it and it did a great job of showing before and after just i mean like overall that that migration guide was extremely well done nice all right well if you have any opinions on view three and how it's doing as far as an upgrade please feel free to reach out to us on twitter ray thank you so much for joining us today thank you for inviting me
Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Yeah. At this point, we will move on to picks. For those who aren't aware, picks are the parts of the uh, show where we share things that we like and we want to share with you. And it doesn't have to be tech-related. It's just something that we like. So Steve, would you like to go first? I will go first. This is a video on YouTube that came across my desk today or my computer screen, as the case may be. And it's a YouTube video that is done by a principal at a, I believe it's a high school in Alabama. And it is a parody of the classic tune, You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. I'm sure Ray will remember that one. And it's about being in school and it's a COVID parody. So the whole video is him going around and sort of professionally done. It's got some dance moves about all the things the students have to do. You know, you got to keep your distancing. You can't, you know, got to clean this and don't do this and, and so on. So it's, it's really well done. Pretty funny. I saw it on the national news. So it's obviously gaining some traction. It's already got 4.8 million views and it was just released on July 28th where today is, well, as of today, where are we? Today is what, August something. So yeah, it's been about a week or two and and it's got a lot of views. We'll put the Great. link in the show notes. Cool. Thank you. Ray, what is your pick for us today? So mine is a book published by a small publisher called Bitmap Books. It's called The CRPG Book. And it is over 500 pages of uh, one to two page reviews on every single computer role-playing game ever made in chronological order. I'm currently reading it and I'm up to like 91 or 92. And as someone who was a, or is a big gamer and I've been a big gamer for most of my life. I just the wealth of games I had never heard of or that I've forgotten <laughs> that I knew about is just great. And they, they'll have interviews and, and quotes from the uh, programmers and stuff like that. And they talk about the trends of the decade. And it's just a great, great book. And if you're a gamer, I absolutely recommend it. That's awesome. I'm going to uh, put you on the spot real quick. What's your favorite game? So that changes. I'll <laughs> say my my favorite game over the last couple of years, I'm, although I'm not playing it right now, is No Man's Sky, which is a procedural space exploration creation type game. Very open-ended, very kind of chill. Uh, again, it's procedurally generated and beautiful. And it launched to very negative reviews because it did like a sizzle trailer at E3 or whatever. And the 1.0 game was was like maybe one fifth of what was in the Sizzle trailer. And I had never seen the Sizzle trailer, so I was fine with it. But over the last couple of years, the publisher has put out a crap ton of updates that are all free that have just add amazing features. And they continue to work on this game and do all this stuff for free and just make it amazing. So I would definitely suggest taking a look at No Man's Sky. Nice. I have it on my list, my wish list on Steam. I, I keep watching the sales. The only issue is I'm on Linux, not Windows. So mm. I'm hoping for uh, compatibility at some point. Awesome. So my pick today is programming. This last week, I have been playing with GraphQL. But the main issue that I have with majority of GraphQL setups is if, if you're going to host it yourself and you're going to work with a database of any sort, you need to, and I, I'm always using TypeScript. So you're using ORM, like type ORM to define everything. And then I need to write my GraphQL schema. Then I need to write the types in the client side. And then I, yeah, so I'm writing the same type three or four different times. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Plus just writing the, the resolvers on everything and map, mapping it all together. So my pick today is a library called Type GraphQL. It claims it is the modern framework for GraphQL 
APIs in Node, and it integrates with either Apollo Server or GraphQL Yoga or whatever actual server you want it to work with. And all you do is annotate your types with decorators. You have to enable decorators. And it says, okay, that's a type in GraphQL now. And then you go over here and you make a resolver class. You say, okay, that's a resolver now. And it's all, it handles the typing for you at that point at the GraphQL layer. You're just writing TypeScript. And if you want to use something like TypeORM, you just put the decorators on top of each other. There's no problem at all. So you have one class that is both your, your model to the database and your model to type type GraphQL. Then you just spin it up inside of an Apollo server, for example, and it just works. And it just works is actually the, it's actually true in most cases. It's got a couple hiccups on things like enums, but very basic stuff. And it's more to do with TypeScript than the library itself. So they are on release candidate three for their 1.0 release. I used this last year when it was much lower in version numbers and it it's it was solid then. So I'm I've been very happy with it recently as well. So that is type GraphQL. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for that as well. All right. Ray, thank you again for coming on the show. How can people reach up to you if they have any questions or want to follow up what we talked about? Sure. Excuse me, I'm Raymond Camden on Twitter. My DMs are open. I like to get questions, so feel free to reach out. And my blog is RaymondCamden.com. Great, thank you. And if you would like to reach out to us as well, we are on Twitter at ViewsOnView. We're also at ViewsOnView.com or DevChat.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Yagabush. And you can find Steve at Wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this episode and hope you have a great day. See you next week. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.